Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today we have a very famous verse found in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners by our nature. We were born in sin because of the sin that Adam committed. And we're also sinners because of the sins that we commit each day. These sins can be sins of thought, they can be sins of deed, or they can be sins against our brother and sister. And so all have sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God, which means that we all, every last one of us, including myself, we all need a savior. And of course the savior is the Lord Jesus. He's God who became man. He went to the cross. He bore our sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. He took our place. And we will receive him as our Lord and Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We have new life in Christ and we have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. What a great blessing it is to know. the special edition directly from the field. Please excuse the quality of this online call. This is a radio edition of Mission Moments. This is Melissa Vandermey standing in for Dr. Brian Albrecht. Today we have Mano Young in our studio and she has a beautiful ministry in India. Well listeners, last week we were discussing this ministry home and how it ministers to the elderly and destitute describing the ministries in the southern tip of India. The most important thing of our home is to provide medical care, geriatric care, health and hygiene, proper diet, as well as the spiritual as well spiritual encouragement and counseling. 
make sure that each one of them take as well as we take them for a visit to our uh, medical, our government medical clinic so that we can check their health out, see if they're healthy. And of course, the government clinic also provides them with free medication. So that is very important to us to upkeep their health as well. And geriatric care, again, because they're elderly, there's, there's so much that we have to be care and provision given to them. It's important to us that they feel that they're looked after. Nutrition, because some of them, again, never had a proper diet prior to coming to us. So it's essential that they do have that. And of course, most importantly, their spiritual well-being, encouragement and counseling. We provide that on a daily basis for each individual. And we do in our church as well. Every morning, every evening, we have devotion times, which is important to us that um, not only the physical well-being, but their spiritual well-being is very important to us. In a recent newsletter, you had shared about Medical Village Camp and church ministry. Would you be able to tell us about that? We make it a point to go and set up our uh, mobile medical camp. So we go in there by person, take our doctor, nurses, and provide them with medical care because most of them don't have the money to go to medical clinics to get access to medicines. And so uh, my parents started... Um, this uh, about 20 plus years ago, this medical ministry, and it is still growing, going strong by God's grace. And faithfully, we see about 20 to 25 um, patients every time we go to the clinic. And most importantly, to share the, the, the good news about God's healing power and the good news of salvation to each of these dear individuals so that they can get that spiritual healing as well as that physical healing. So it's been a wonderful ministry to share the good news of God's healing power. So it's our medical ministries. When it comes to our church ministries, as I mentioned on Kwanaha, we have a church on site itself. And every Sunday, there's about including our, our uh, the individuals, our dear folk who stay at Ponaham, and we have some families around the area who come to church as well. So there's a total, I, I'd say about 65 to 70 people who gather at our Ponaham church, as well as in Madre as well. My father started a church mission chapel here in Madre that dad has been um, having for the past 20 plus years as well. And so we have these two churches. And in surplus to these two other ministries, we have our ministry to the visually impaired. God is there for them, you know? And so it's neat to see how these two sisters do in their own way are reaching out to other visually impaired brothers and sisters so sometimes we have meetings in our house as well to help these dear brothers and sisters as well well mano thank you so much for describing this medical care and all of the goals of the home the lord must be very pleased the verse that came to mind was redeeming the time for the time is short and wow are you an example of that along with your father it was beautiful beautiful to hear thank you listeners for tuning in we will be hearing from Mano again next week, so please tune in next week to learn more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to CAS National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we cannot continue to be on the air without your support. So we appreciate you praying and asking the Lord how you can help us. This month we're offering a wonderful booklet 
A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt by Joni Erickson Tata. This booklet I found to be very, very helpful. It does several things for me and hopefully it will do the same for you. First of all, it explains what true contentment is with the Lord. It talks about having joy in the midst of tremendous suffering, hardship, hurts, and all kinds of difficult people that we run into. I found it to be tremendously helpful to my own spiritual life, and I know it'd be very helpful to yours as well. One of the principles that's in this booklet is the idea of counting your blessings. I remember uh, we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I really encourage you to write in to get this booklet, A Thankful Heart. And if you do that, I'd be glad to get you a copy. To order your copy, please write Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning and is entitled, The Resurrected Christ. I'm sure that you'll have a, I'm sure that the Lord will bless you as you listen to this message from the Word of God. Printed copies are available upon request. Of all the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, none is more positively established by the facts of history than Christ's literal bodily resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul could say without fear of successful contradiction, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. It is on the resurrected Christ that we fix our attention as we continue our biography of Jesus, the Son of God. Last week, as the Christ of Calvary, we watched him endure the humiliation of rejection on the agony of the cross for our sins. We sometimes sing, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. 
And I love that old cross where the dear Lamb of God for a world of lost sinners was slain. I hope we understand and mean what we sing. When death finally released Christ from his unspeakable suffering, a prominent Jew named Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate's permission to remove and bury the body. He probably was assisted by another member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, who, having come to Jesus by night and conversed with him, had ever since been a secret disciple. Both men had boycotted the illegal night meeting of the High Council that had condemned Christ to death at the urging of the high priest Caiaphas. Now the two men took Christ's broken body down from the cross and wrapped it in grave clothes and tenderly laid it in Joseph's own sepulcher in a nearby garden. Across the entrance they rolled a great stone to secure the body until it could be more completely embalmed with spices after the long Passover Sabbath was ended. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene and other women with them witnessed the burial and then returned to their homes to prepare the spices for the later embalming. The next morning, a delegation of the chief priests and Pharisees waited on Pilate, saying, We remember that deceiver said while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. So Pilate gave them a watch of soldiers to guard the tomb, and also sealed the stone so that it could not be moved. Three days and nights went by, the last day being the concluding Sabbath of the Passover commemoration. Sometime after the Passover had ended, with the setting of the sun, God moved to complete his work of man's redemption by resurrecting from the dead the Christ who had now paid man's debt in full. Precisely at what hour of the night Christ emerged from the tomb, we're not told. The empty sepulcher was discovered before sunrise the next morning. But we are told in Matthew 28 that there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone that Pilate had sealed and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, that is, the soldiers on guard duty, did shake and become as dead men. A detailed examination of the four gospel records indicates that a lot of confused activity accompanied the early morning discovery that the tomb was empty. The record in each gospel refers to a different time. John 20 and 1 speaks of Mary Magdalene coming to the sepulchre early when it was yet dark. She apparently was the first to discover that the tomb was empty, but there's no mention of her seeing or hearing anyone. Matthew 28, 1 speaks of two Marys returning to the grave as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. It was no longer completely dark, the first rays of the dawn gave at least faint light. This time an angel spake to the women, saying, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. 
Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Leaving hastily to do the angel's bidding, they apparently met Salome on her way to the tomb and returned with her, as recorded in Mark 16 and 2, which says, They reached the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. Finally, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24 and 1, speaks of a group of women coming to the tomb very early in the morning. Now, whether this means before or immediately after the sun rose is difficult to say. But what is clear is that they went back and forth to and from the sepulchre several times. What they witnessed at the tomb differed each time. The first time Mary Magdalene saw only that the stone had been rolled away. When the two Marys returned, they saw one angel who spake to them. When the two Marys and Salome returned, Mark 16.5 says, they entered the tomb and saw a young man sitting clothed in a long white garment who spoke to them, saying, Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Verse 8 says, They fled and were too frightened to tell anyone. Finally, Luke's record speaks of the group of women entering the tomb and seeing two men in shining garments, who spoke to them, saying, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Luke 24, 9 says, They return from the sepulchre, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. John 20 tells of Peter and John running to the tomb and finding it empty, and returning to their homes. Luke 12 speaks of Peter seeing the linen clothes in which Christ's body had been wrapped, and departing wondering at that which was come to pass. The visible appearances of Christ that morning are recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark says Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Matthew 28 tells of him appearing to both Marys, who held him by the feet and worshipped him. Luke 24 recalls the appearance of Christ to Simon Peter, to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and to ten of the disciples in Jerusalem, when he said to them, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. John 20 speaks of a further appearance to eleven disciples eight days later, this time Thomas being present. John 21 records Christ's appearance to seven of the disciples, on the seashore some days later. Acts 1 speaks of him showing himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Luke 24 tells of his last hour with his disciples. It says he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. The Apostle Paul recounts 
Christ's appearances after his resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 4-8 in these words. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me. In addition to his numerous visible appearances and the conversations he had with his disciples after his resurrection, the empty tomb itself was further evidence that he had literally been raised from the dead. Remember the stone closing the only entrance to the sepulchre had been sealed on Pilate's orders. A guard of soldiers had been posted around the tomb for the express purpose of making certain that no one removed the body. And yet on the morn of his resurrection, the seal was found broken, the stone rolled away from the entrance, and the body gone. With a platoon of soldiers guarding the tomb, it would have been impossible for anyone to have approached near to the grave, much less break the official seal and roll away the huge stone and remove the body. It is significant that when Peter and John entered the sepulcher, they found the linen grave clothes in which Christ's body had been wrapped lying where the body had been, and the linen napkin that had been about his head not lying with the grave clothes, but neatly folded and lying in a place by itself. Now if it had been possible for someone to enter the tomb and remove the body, would a grave robber have been likely to stop to remove the grave clothes in the tomb? an unhurriedly taken time to neatly fold and place by itself the napkin that had encased Christ's head? And what of the military guard? Matthew 28 and 4 says, When the angel of the Lord descended and rolled back the stone, they were so fearful, they shook and became as dead men. When they later revived, verses 11 to 15 says, Some of them made their way into the city and reported what had happened to the chief priests. After a hurried consultation, the priests bribed the frightened soldiers to say they'd fallen asleep at their posts and Christ's disciples had stolen the body while they slept. Now, such a story is ridiculous. A soldier on duty would pay with his life if he fell asleep. And in any event, surely the whole guard wouldn't fall asleep at once. And if they were asleep, how could they know Christ's disciples had stolen his body? No, the evidence of Christ's literal resurrection, which he had foretold before his death, is overwhelming and irrefutable. Following the birth of the Jerusalem church at Pentecost, the central theme of their preaching was that Jesus Christ had literally been raised from the dead. All the religious establishment needed to do to destroy the church and its message was produce the dead body of Jesus Christ. They didn't because they couldn't. More about this next week. As we close today, please consider the significance of Christ's literal resurrection. One, it was proof, proof positive of his deity. He rose because God could not be holden of death. Two, it was confirmation of what he had said concerning himself before he died that he must suffer and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Three, it confirms that the total price of man's redemption was paid in full by Christ dying for the sins of the world. The 
as our substitute sin-bearer, he could be released from death only when the full price of our redemption was paid. His resurrection was the proof that the full price had been paid. For his resurrection is what gives purpose and meaning to the Christian faith of all believers in Christ from that day to this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. The literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And the fact that millions of believers personally know the living Christ is in itself proof positive that he arose and is alive today. This is the cardinal fact that distinguishes Christianity from all the many religions which are founded by men. The founders of all religions except Christianity are dead. All their followers can do is subscribe to and practice their various teachings and precepts and seek to emulate their example. Christianity alone has a founder who, being divine, was eternal existent, became incarnate in human flesh as the babe of Bethlehem, taught and preached as Christ the stranger of Galilee, died for the sins of the world as the Christ of Calvary, and then returned from the dead as the resurrected Christ who is alive today and forevermore. Being a Christian, therefore, is far more than subscribing to Christ's teachings and trying to emulate his example. It is by faith entering into a real and personal relationship with him as the resurrected, divine, eternal Son of God. It is that personal relationship with the living Christ that produces the spiritual new birth through which men and women become members of the household and family of God. My friend, do you know Christ merely as a historic person who lived on this earth 19 centuries ago? Or do you know him as your personal living Savior, able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them? I trust the message you just heard will be a great blessing to you this next week, and I trust it will draw you closer to the Lord. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we are so thankful for the privilege of sharing the Word of God. And of course, we hope that people will grow in their faith because of these messages that have been preached. But also, we're concerned about those who have never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The Bible is very clear about what needs to be done. It's not by works that you're saved, it's by faith. The Bible teaches that all sin that comes short of the glory of God the Bible also teaches that the wages of that sin, in other words, the payment for that sin, is death. It's separated from God. But the gift of God, the gift of God is the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross, bearing your sins in his own body, taking your place and the anger that God has towards each and every one of your sins, and putting on the Lord Jesus. And he died, but the third day he rose again. And because of that, as you put your faith in him, put your trust in him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. 
you can have a new life. The Bible teaches that, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. All things have passed, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Don't forget to write in and get your copy of A Thankful Heart. The technical term is a thankful heart in a world of hurt. But if you just say a thankful heart, I'm sure that you'll get a copy of this pamphlet. It's such an encouraged one. I, I really recommend it to you. Write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can hear past um, broadcasts on our website at missiongo.org. That's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. And please remember us in your prayers. And please write in to get that, get your copy of the pamphlet, A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt.